This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What's up, everybody? Strap on your seatbelt and get ready for the ride of your life. We are covering Drive today on Action Movie Anatomy. My name is Ben Bateman. I'm sitting here with Andrew Guy, and we are stoked to talk about possibly the definitive soundtrack of our generation and the movie that comes along with it. We'll see you guys in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show! Welcome to the coolest intro song we've ever had. Man, this is cool. Other than Crimson Tide. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, I was waiting Crimson for that. Tide. Other than the, the, the submarine hum that we thought was a good idea in the first place, but then listening back to it, you're like, why is there a buzzing during this whole episode? Are they, where, are they I never ground? played that. Oh, you didn't do it? No! Oh, it legitimately was actually just a buzz. All right, fair enough. Uh, welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another Wednesday afternoon. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. This is Action Movie Anatomy. We've got Andrew Guy over here. He's got a tie clip. I'm doing it. I'm wearing the thing. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Uh, we're back in the studio. We're covering Drive today. You may be asking yourselves, is Drive really an action movie? It is. It's more of an action movie than you realize, and it fits because it's so modeled after the classic sort of 80s feel. Yeah. It feels so much like a lot of the movies that were made in the 80s that kind of inspire this show. Uh, there's plenty of action. It's a simple enough movie that it's not... I don't feel like we get dragged into the drama of this movie, actually. You follow it pretty closely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that even though this movie has a great bit of drama to it, it's not weighed down by it at all. It adds to the action. It makes the action payoff seem more legitimate. In the way that John Wick is the like total bubblegum popcorn version of an 80s action movie, mm-hmm. this is like the modern-day telling of like risky business, except it's an action movie. It's yeah. like... They, it's like they, they both symbolize something that's very 1980s and very, like, popcorn cinema. They're just different parts. Um, and, and so this movie, it really does feel like that when you watch it, and it was extremely satisfying to watch. So I should clarify for everybody, this is Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. And this show, in particular, we talk about action movies on this show. I think this one's going to break a few of those rules. Yeah. I do too. Movies made after 1981, that is an unofficial first rule, but the rule number one is the hero always plays by their own rules, and he definitely does. He definitely does, and so does Albert Brooks. Yep, absolutely. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people, villains, uh, things, beings, whatever in the room, and he's he's definitely the smartest as a hero. Yeah. Um, and Albert Brooks is the smartest. Yeah, he, he's not like Nino. He's not like no. quite as... I mean, he is crazy, but he's so much more collected. Very collected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's brilliant. They both are, which is awesome. The movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary... Figure. When we say political, we mean they could be, I don't know, perhaps a an MTA operator in the taking of Pelham 123. They Maybe. could work for the man or the be the man. But as far as, I mean, he is a mercenary. I was just going to say, I feel like we could call him a mercenary. You have five minutes. 
Anything that five minutes, I'm yours. Yeah, he is a mercenary. I mean, he's a criminal. So I think that's fine. And, and he's then hired to do criminal acts. There's at least one explosion. I mean, there's a car flip. Um, mm. But I don't... I guess there's not really an explosion. Yeah. Yeah, there's no explosion this week. There's an ex exploding head. Yeah. <laughs> Explo there is an exploding head. Yeah. Which is better than an explosion sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a gnarly headshot. It's a really good headshot. It's a great one. Good piece of trivia on that when the scene that he walks in... <laughs> good piece of trivia because it actually happened. <laughs> they walk in and they see all those, like, those... Uh, those like rubber molds of the heads uh -huh. uh, when he puts it on, and if you look, there's three molds in a row of Christina Hendricks' head oh, that really? they use to blow up the head. Um, oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah. So, um, in any case, guys, this is Drive. This is 2011, and this is our this is our show. We've been doing this for 50, 54 episodes now. Yeah, I think something like that. Just over a year. We are extremely proud and uh, and and honored to have been part of this network. This this young network is now 18 months old. Yeah, uh, we're at, like we're quickly approaching about five and a half million views on this show. Um, the network itself is approaching 20 soon, right? Something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 getting up there. It's it's a big it's big. It's it's awesome stuff to see it happen. So um, we get you know press coverage. I covered the uh, the preacher premiere for this network on this last Saturday. Very exciting. It was really cool. I hung out with the cast and and I went to like a party afterwards. They were all there. I, I got to talk to the writer of the comic and have, have a we been beer told with you guys that we're going to be at Comic Con. Yeah, we're going to Comic Con for popcorn. We're going to do a bunch of cool interviews and stuff. So that's really awesome stuff. And um, if you're going to be there, come say hi to us. We would love to see you guys. Yeah, yeah. And that should bring us to our next point. If you want to know where we're going to be, follow us on Twitter. So the podcast itself is on Twitter yeah. at AMA Podcast. There was a picture posted to. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Snapchat this morning of him and uh, Carl Weathers yes. doing the old Dylan, you son of a bitch thing. So we, we tweeted that, which is funny. And um, it's very funny. <laughs> and uh, if you like us personally and you think we're awesome, you should follow us personally on Twitter. Yes. I'm Ben Bateman Media, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter. And uh, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, up at the booth, we have Mr. Mark B. Donica, another hey, hello, uh, gentlemen. popcorn talk aficionado expert. He has his own show. We do. Video Game Movie Anatomy. And Andrew and I were lucky enough to guest on that show we this week. Lucky. Yeah, we did it on, uh, it was Monday night, and we covered Doom, the which was awesome. The 2005 masterpiece. Let me, <laughs> let me clarify when I say awesome. It was awesome to be on the show <laughs> with Mark. It was very fun. Uh, the movie itself. Compared to Pelham 123. The movie itself is perfect compared to taking a film. <laughs> no. uh, I'll take it. Go watch the episode. It's a super fun episode on Doom, and, and actually, it's a cool crossover for our show and their show. We're going to bring them on our show in a couple months when we cover uh, Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed, yes, exactly. That's a good That's a good call. Um, the highlight of the episode for me is we were talking about one of the reviews of the film, and somebody said the review referred to this movie as a miscarriage of justice, yes. to which Donica said, that must be Steven Seagal's next movie. Hey-oh! A miscarriage of justice. Yeah, it was... I it, was, what I it was brilliant. It's it was absolutely joke. brilliant. Very good joke. Love I was drinking best. Jameson the whole time. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's the that's the steal of that deal of the steal of the story, guys. Find us at Comic Con. Follow us on Twitter if you like us, and give us a rating and review on iTunes because staying high in the standings is the only way we can continue to provide free content for the network. Absolutely. Let's get into the movie. Um, this is Drive, 2011. Uh, I would say I would say a, a breakthrough for Ryan Reynolds, but it really isn't. He no. This is just sort of right in the heart of him establishing himself as like. We had this conversation the other day, 
is Ryan Reynolds or is is Ryan Gosling? I think I just said Reynolds a couple times. You did. Um, <laughs> is Ryan Gosling an A-lister? And Ben's been watching a lot of Just Friends lately, <laughs> and we would love to cover that on the show, but we <laughs> can't. It's a great one. Um, Ryan Gosling is definitely an A-lister. It's just weird that in this day and age, he's about as famous as you can be, but I still. He doesn't feel like those guys that we watched growing up. He still doesn't. He's about as famous as you can be, <clears throat> but if you were to stand him and Tom Cruise and Bruce Willis in a line and all, or they were all to walk into the same room one after the other, he would not get the same reception that they do. Yeah. Even he, in their prime. Not not now, because now they're like legends. Yeah. But in their prime, yeah. they were still bigger movie stars than he is. It's more of a, that's more of a sign of the times. Yeah. Um, because we will get into star profiles in just a minute talking about Gosling and where he's at and everything that's going on. But I mean, the guy has really been slaying it for about a decade now. Absolutely. And he's, he's a phenomenal actor. He's an, he's incredibly good looking. He, he knows how to make fun of himself and he knows how to be a badass. Yeah, He's varied in his choices. <clears throat> it's, it's really interesting. So I think this is pretty cool to, to talk about this movie because this is the most, this is the most notable popcorn movie sort of just in the simple, satisfying action sense that he's ever been in. Right. Um, he's been in movies that tried to be, like, you know, Gangster Squad. He's been in movies that attempted to be sort of more epic. But this is just the one, for whatever reason, that sticks with a lot of people. This is, it's not Half Nelson. I mean, Half Nelson is like the Oscar one. Yeah, I mean, Half Nelson, Lars and the Real Girl. Right. Like, those movies are phenomenal. But, and, and so is Blue Valentine. But it, there's something about the subtlety of this, in movie. this movie and the fact that no matter how intense it is, yeah. They never play it up to what you think. Like, they're never quite doing all that you as an audience are like, well, why isn't there music going on right now? Why isn't there tension building? What about the right. lighting? It's just it's just real, and it's raw, and it's happening. I think there's something about the way that it's done that just makes this movie stand out. I mean, again, this is, you know how much I love Looper. It's the same type of feeling of making a sweet sci-fi time travel movie that's just the bare bones, like yeah. just all you need. It just does it right. And I think there's also something really unique about this movie to point out, which is that you think about you think about movies that come out that are that are great films, and you think about movies that come out that are like maybe part of a franchise that are really well acted. And then you think about movies that come out that are people will describe as sexy. Like right. they they have this thing, this like sex appeal. It's like Ryan Reynolds gets to be he gets to be like James Dean got to be. Yeah. He's like the, the the canvas and he's just in it. And like this director is like you're incredibly masculine. You're incredibly handsome. Like, you just have this magnetism. So I'm just not going to have you talk that much. You're yeah. going to have a few really good lines. You're going to drive this car. And you're going to be a fucking star. Because right. people are going to watch this and just be like, oh, my God, Ryan Reynolds. He's, I mean, he's yeah, so good. I mean, yeah, he has that thing that we talk about on the show is movie star charisma. Yeah. And one of the best scenes that, that completely epitomizes that is the first time that Carrie Mulgan comes to his shop. Yeah. And he's working. Yeah. He hardly says anything. Anything. He just smiles a lot. And yeah. he's just like bashful. And he's, you know, and then finally at the end, it's like, uh, I told him you give you right home. He's like, um, uh, my car doesn't have wheels on it. Something you should know about me. Some, no, yeah, something <laughs> yeah. you should know about me. My car doesn't have wheels on it. Give me five minutes. It's like yeah. the only thing, he's like a cute kid. He reminds me, you guys know I love the notebook. <laughs> this is like him at the beginning of the notebook. He's like this sweet, like bashful boy. You know, I've never seen the notebook. I really think you should watch it, man. I, people love that movie. That's, that's, that seems to be a, a, a classic that I should have watched at some point. Yeah, so I want us to cue the trailer, and then I want to talk, I want to bring up something that's been going on in the chat okay, real great. quick. So let's do, let's do that. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll kill you. I'll kill everybody. <laughs> you give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. The trailer does really sell it, it as... Down, and I'll carry a gun more of an action movie than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Not dangerous. It's only part time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing. Love Cranston. Love Cranston. Dad, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. Oh my. My husband's coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. Were you in this film? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> How old is he in this? Do you know? How old he was in uh, He's probably like my age. Yeah. Maybe a couple years older. What's the job? I don't think he's a particularly big guy in my life. I don't get the sense. Gosling? No. Uh, oh, I know he's I, not a huge Yeah, I don't either anymore. It's good use in the trailer here that they don't actually show what happens there. Anything, yeah, Because yeah, some yeah. trailers are dumb and they would show him on the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? really ruin it. Why does he turn the car backwards in that part? I think it's so that the uh, the guys can't see through it. I don't know. They can't see what's behind him. Yeah. Or maybe it's the the maneuver maneuverability to flip around is easier maybe. from that from that angle. There's definitely got to be a reason. Yeah, because it's just a cool move. Yeah. Because this movie doesn't do cool shit to be cool. No, no. You know. Well, it kind of actually does. Right. The whole right. time, but it doesn't. But yeah. It never acknowledges any of it. <laughs> it I guess. Yeah. It would yeah. be like a Fast and the Furious type of moment. So creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a gun. No. Yeah. Any Just trying to watch it again. Have. Yeah. Plans for your future. Think you're gonna have to put that on hold. For the rest of your life, you're gonna be looking over your shoulder. Pretty awesome. Apparently, Albert Brooks was in character um, all the time. When he, even when he met uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Really? Uh, yeah. Apparently, during the interview when he first met him, he pinned him up against a wall. Um, yeah, <laughs> he was like trying to totally just be like a like maniac. But I listened to an interview this morning with the director, and he was saying that uh, he just when he met him, he said that he was just all over the place, just like emotionally, just a fucking basket case. Uh, Brooks. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And he's like, I want that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Well, it's just so crazy to see someone who. I mean, one of our good buddies, he always is like, that's Nemo's dad. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, to see someone that's, like, not intimidating, that's never, like, not really a bad guy, be that yeah. much of a badass. Yeah. Please, he's uh, Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. <laughs> True. Really? Very... Does he do the voice of Hank Scorpio? <laughs> How can you not hear it? Yeah. I, totally. just, I mean, I've seen the Hank Scorpio episode a lot. I've just never connected the two. <laughs> yeah, it's totally him. Homer. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's my here's my thing. is The audience in our, our live chat is going back and forth, and they do this... They do this a lot uh, with movies that are kind of on the cusp of, yeah, drama. of, of whether it's action drama, you know, like they did it with, with Crimson Tide, they did it with Taking Pelham, sure. they did it with The Town, Right, they're doing it now. Is this an action movie or not, and why? So, it's a tough question, right, because the, our show is called Action Movie Anatomy, and mm-hmm. we have to defend our decision to do some and not do others. Um, it's like sort of like, if you could do Drive, then why couldn't you do X, Y, or Z drama? Right. Um, for us, at the end of the day, ultimately, it, de- it definitely comes down to tone, is the first thing. So we've yep. always paid attention to tone. There are things we stay away from on the show. We, we intentionally do try to stay away from things that have an enormous amount of established canon. So it's hard for us to do superhero movies. It's hard mm-hmm. for us to do things that the source material kind of overwhelms your ability to just experience the movie for the first time. Right, like doing The Matrix was, was intimidating. Yeah. Because of how much is behind it. Right, yeah. right. Um, there's just so much background. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you have to think about like, if a movie is a drama and it has a few action scenes in it, 
but like when I think about that movie, it feels like a drama. Mm-hmm. I guess I wouldn't want to do it on the show, right? But like, it, we would never do. We would most likely never do Saving Private Ryan on the show. Yeah, war films are another one that's like really hard to do. Like I'm sure we'd have fun doing it. Oh, it's an amazing movie and it's a great action drama. And there's yeah. there's more action than there is in this. Yeah, I mean, I want to do Lone Survivor, but I don't think it's right. I just it's hard. It's 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 really it's really really difficult. Like the where we draw the line. But at the end of the day. This movie is modeled after an 80s action movie. Mm-hmm. This movie is modeled after movies like To Live and Die in L.A. It's, it's, it's these, like, it's, it's got, it's, and it's so inspired by, like, these, eight, these like, 80s genre, like Thief with James Caan. Or like, yeah, and uh, he is James Dean now. Like, yeah. that's the whole, like, it, and, and the feel, again, the feel and the tone is so big on this. Like, it feels like an action movie. Like, that, that like, that yeah. feeling you get. You don't get that feeling a lot in dramas. No. It's a different type of feeling. And the, I mean, there's not that much action, but when the action in this movie does happen, it's very satisfying. And yeah, it's been, it's earned it. It's yeah. earned its point. Like uh, someone said, when this movie came out, people were disappointed because they thought it was gonna be like Fast and Furious. Now, I, if if you thought this movie was gonna be like Fast and Furious, I get it. I completely understand. Yeah, right. Why you're disappointed? Yeah. I never thought that going into this. Mm. I expected a great, like a real action drama. Yeah. You know. So I just think that for us, it fits on the show because again, what we always talk about is tone and feel. Yeah. And like there are fist pump moments in this a lot of them yeah completely um yeah i think because i I, the the biggest movie recently we've done that i thought about this is what i was saying to you before the camera started rolling today this is the first movie i've watched in a long time where and i had seen this movie only once before um but this is the kind of movie where it made me excited to go watch the movies i'd missed yeah and so in that sense the people in the chat are correct this is a different movie than we've ever done on this show it is it is a totally different movie i mean thinking about the town which is a good comparison because it's a recent film we did that has a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. The town's totally awesome in its own way, and it's dark and it's intense, but it's also like it takes itself very seriously. It's a kind of a gangster drama about Boston. You have the Boston accents, it's bank robbery. Right. It's intense. There's just a lot of weight. It's very it's fun to watch, but it's not as like this movie is like a fairy tale. This movie makes you feel good almost the whole time, even when this horrible movie shit is happening. It makes you feel cool. It totally does. Did you buy the Mustang because he drives it in the scene? No, be I already had. I already had one. Okay. <laughs> I bought my next Mustang because of that. Um, I know when he was driving, I was like, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what I said to Mikey last yeah. time when we were watching. I was like, that's the only reason I like this movie is because he's driving a Mustang. And, um, anyway, so I just wanted to clear that up for you guys real quick so that you don't think we're being disingenuous to our show. It There's makes a reason. you feel cool. That's a great fucking point. Like that is a great point because watching this movie, I'm like. Man, I want to be cool like that. Guy. I know that's part. That I mean, let's. I mean, we can get into it. I want to wear a cool jacket. And right? I want to like drive, be able to drive really well. The thing is that if either that of you and I wore that jacket, we would get the shit kicked out of us. <laughs> you would shit beat the shit out. I would kick the shit out of you. I saw you in that jacket, and then you probably wear it. And then I'd also kick the shit out of you. <laughs> but there's just something about it. There's he can do no wrong in this film. Everything he does, yeah, every look he does, because it's a fairy tale. Yeah, and he's a real hero. That's why the song plays. I mean, it's like it's just totally. It's like, if anybody ever watched Friday Night Lights, you never watched the show, right? I watched the first couple episodes with you. Yeah. It was very good. Great show. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's ever watched the show, Tim Riggins is not a real character. Everybody knows that. Like, there's, there's no such thing as a guy that's, like, just, like, that pure-hearted and that, like, Texas and that old Is school. he the running back? He's the, yeah, he's Kel- Kel- Kish. Kish. Yeah, okay. Like, characters like that are fairy tale characters. Like, he's awesome. You love right. him. Right, he's drinking and he sleeps with girls every night and his dad's an alcoholic and he beats him, right? Is that him? Yeah, but he's but in the but end, he turns still... out to have, like, a heart of gold. Yeah, he's, but like, he's... 
Yeah, he's just like the best. Like I don't know. I just you see characters like this, and you're like, it's a, it's a movie for a reason. You yeah. can't be that in real life because there's we know nothing about this guy. Nothing. He's a total loner. He is he is like the epitome of like the old James Dean. I love in movies like this, in all movies, when you find heroes that are like that, where their whole life is literally just their career or their goal, right. which is like whether it's driving or robbing banks or being a cop. Yeah. And you go back to their apartments. Yeah. And it's always like there's one light. Yeah. And there's one table. <laughs> yeah. There's no food anywhere. The bed's on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And like there's just something that they're always working on. Yeah, right. And I, whenever I see that, I'm like, God, I should be that way. I should be that guy. <laughs> I should be that guy. And then like I get home and I like turn on my TV and Put I on like, your do all slippers. the yeah, I get in my bed. <laughs> with my things and the lights and I'm like god I'm bored yeah you know it's so like imagine if I had just that I'd, I would I'd lose my mind yeah if you're Russ Cole from True Detective you just yeah. like yeah a bunch of books on like books on like existentialism and a bed on the ground yeah um, and it's just like a trunk full of guns and cocaine that's what you want to be um, right yeah 100% so uh, yeah I totally agree I mean I think the director was saying that like we don't see movies about characters like this anymore where it's it's like it's a guy with a purpose who knows exactly who he is and what he wants and that's that's the point of view. It's right. really fascinating that, that in this movie actually he is a fairy tale character but he hits a woman. Yeah. I forgot that happened. Yeah. That's a total like whoa kind of moment. You're like that's and then he hold it's I love that scene actually. That's maybe one of my favorite scenes not cuz he hits her but when <laughs> when after You sure? After he does and he's trying to get information out of her, he holds his finger like it's a gun. Like it's a gun. And points his finger at her. Yeah. That's such a cool stylistic choice to make because he doesn't use guns. No, he uses it once. Yeah, and he's just, but it's like, it's she's terrified because he's so intense. I mean, I guess he did just hit her, so that's fair. Yeah, but he like, yeah, he like open, he like open hands slaps her. Yeah. And he gets on top of her and he like threatens to, to, to hurt her. It's, it's so weird to have a guy who's a hero and he's a good guy, but slaps a woman and in the moment... It's it's a masculine thing. It's to completely do. justified. He doesn't. F- yeah, I mean, it's it's not in life. Right. Make that very clear. Right. Yeah. But I'm talking movie, about in the film. Yeah, but in the film, it just it doesn't seem inconsistent with his character, and he continues to seem like a good guy. And I think it's because the dialogue around it too. And he's like, you just got a little little boy's father killed. Yeah. You know, like he's. It's not about him. It's, it's not about him trying to. Yeah. G- yeah. It's not any gain for him. It's exactly. It's justice. But it challenges our expectation, which is definitely interesting. And that's I I, I was I was taken aback by that. That's that's always weird. Like hitting women is definitely wrong so in this movie when the hero doesn't and it seems okay it's like wow you guys have like really set this up it's just that's the thing it's just all about tone yeah. and like and like payoff you know what i mean like there's got to be a means <clears throat> to an end there's got to be a reason that you're going to do something that yeah. drastic absolutely all right um that being said let's get into the next portion of our show which is going to be Fist pump thesis statement. Fist pump thesis statement. <laughs> it's a new hybrid category. Um, thesis statement, guys. This is the part of the show where we cover our overarching theme, our our big bold idea, something that is rooted probably in hyperbole. This is the greatest. This the first. This the best. This. Um, it should not be loose. It should not be like this is my favorite Ryan Gosling movie. It should really be like this is something important. That's uh, a thought you have about the movie, and you kind of defend it all throughout talking about it. So I'll jump in first. Okay. Um, this is the most definitive movie about our generation's Los Angeles that exists. Um, it is, hmm. in every way, we're the same age. Yep. We're, we're pushing 30 in a few years. We came to L.A. around the same time. We experienced this this kind of music that this movie is rooted in at the same time in our lives. Um, this style, this sort of like revival of like that 80s synth pop type of thing where seemingly every band was trying to do it. Um, it really came up in like 2008, 2009. Yeah, it you was had, like right towards the end of when we were in college, and and it's and still kind of going. Yeah. It's a little more tired now, but like it was a big, big trend, a big generational movement. Um, and I this, loved it. 
Yeah, so did I. I mean, we b- both of us listened to all those bands, all the Passion Pits, and all mm-hmm. the Phoenixes, and the Foster the Peoples, right. MGMTs, all. Yeah, that. this album, this soundtrack is one is one of the definitive moments of the whole entire movement. Um, <laughs> I went and saw Kavinsky and College yeah. after this movie came out because right. this movie came out. And when I think about that, and I think about moving to LA and what LA was like to me when I first got here, and now it's seven years later, and I look at the kids that are still moving here, the way this movie. The way this movie shoots L.A., everything about it, this, there's this very romantic feel, but but they're in Echo Park. Right. It's not it's not all Hollywood. It's not Santa Monica. It's L.A. is big and sprawling and beautiful, and the, they reference the Clippers at the beginning of the yeah, movie. Yeah, instead of the Lakers. It's yeah. like, it's because that's what it is on. here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, so many people think, think L.A., and they think, exactly like you said, Hollywood, Santa Monica, Hollywood, side. no. L.A. is what they show you in those movies. Those yeah. dark streets, late at night, third and Alameda, like things like that. Yeah, and that's and that was what I watching it again this time, having lived here longer now. It's like this movie's young. This movie really does reference a young version of Los Angeles. It's what it's what the people who have been living here the last five to ten years. It's people of our age who moved here yeah. post high school, post college, and are still here, uh, experienced. And I, and I really think when you watch this, even his character, like. He's like sort of a fairy tale leading man. Yeah. Just the way he is, he's he's super handsome and he's quiet, but he wears skinny jeans and he's you right. know, he wears kind of a feminine jacket and he's a complete like, badass. Like he can fight, but he doesn't ever like. But pick he's sensitive, but he doesn't yeah. use guns and he loves you know? the kid. Yeah, it's exactly. It's so representative of like our generation, which is why I got to jump in with mine, which is that this is the coolest movie ever. <laughs> like this movie makes me feel cool when watching it and cool like talking about it, like. This is the coolest movie we've done on the show, and this movie epitomizes cool more so than any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's true. I, you, I, I guess when you really think about, you think about imagery that we've seen our whole life. We keep referencing James Dean because James Dean is one of the ultimate all time. He's the coolest icon, like icons. Yeah, you know, like you see those images of James Dean, and it's not even like you go back and you look at the images. It's not like James Dean had a six pack. It's <laughs> not like James Dean was like. Uh, you know, incredibly intelligent, or even really that good of an actor. He was in three movies. I mean, yeah. people think he was a great actor, but when you when you really think about it, what did he get to show us? He was a sex symbol. He was just cool, rebel without a cause, man. He right. was just just awesome. I know it's funny when you say that he was in three movies. It's like when people are like, "Well, how long were the Beatles together?" Oh, like 20, 20 30 years. Yeah, no, it was like nine, yeah. eleven, and barely, barely. Like they, yeah. their last album came out in nineteen seventy, and they weren't <laughs> even they didn't perform live after sixty seven. It's all about the impact that you make. Yeah, and like again, someone like James Dean, three movies, three movies. He, he was, I think, three movies are Rebel Without a Cause, Giant, and uh, East of Eden. Um, yeah, and it's just like, but when you think about like the people over the years who have been those icons, they're, it's like we judge their career off of a few famous photographs more than we judge anything else. Yeah. Most people our age have never seen a single movie I just named. Yeah. Those James Dean movies. I, the only reason I've ever watched them because my dad made me watch old movies growing up. But most people, they know a couple pictures of James Dean with his sleeves rolled up with like cigarettes and the white t-shirt. It's the same thing as like 18-year-olds now and, and 18-year-old girls and their icon Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, right. You don't know anything about her. No, she's nothing about her. a couple great pictures. You know, like, what is it? Well, well-behaved women seldom make history. She didn't say that. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich said that. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks Marilyn Monroe said that. Yeah. It's the thing. It's like, people don't actually know, but they make you feel a certain way about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about Sid Vicious or people like who representative of each of their respective generations and they were these sex symbols. Uh, great example, because we talk about it on the show all the time. 1980s Tom Cruise, totally different than the guy he became. 1980s yeah. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise in his underwear, Top Gun Tom Cruise. All-American boy. 
yeah, and he's so young and he's so handsome and he's so charming. Like by the 90s, he was a whole different thing. It's like he was still important, but he wasn't iconic for people. That's why Risky Business is the most iconic Tom Cruise movie that's ever been made. Right. Because he was raw, just like James Dean was. Just like it feels like Ryan Gosling is in this movie, which is what they are doing. and, and Which is incredible because... As we, I mean, we, we we're having a hard time getting through the show today because I think we're so excited about this yeah. film. But it's true, like that's not who he is. Now you think that's who he is, but the, the, what the reason I just said that is because when we get into star profiles and you look at the movies that he just did and just finished, yeah, no. So this is um, we're just gonna keep tangenting because fuck it, because um, who cares? And we're we're cursing up a storm today. <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> we are sorry. Uh, not really. We are um, not. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Preacher, and I don't know if any of our fans have read Preacher. Um, probably my favorite comic book series of all time. It's written by a guy named Garth Ennis, um, and he is not American. I want to say he's either Irish or he's Scottish. But uh, I met <clears throat> I met Garth on Saturday and uh, at the premiere, and I actually was lucky enough afterwards at the party to talk to him and get to actually have a beer with him and just hang out with him for about a half an hour mm-hmm. and ask him all these questions about Preacher. I've read Garth Ennis comics my whole life. Like, he writes war stories. He writes, Jesse Custer in Preacher is this American, Texas... Uh, All-American he's boy? He's a cowboy. His dad, was, his dad was in Vietnam. Like, he, he, he finds it wrong when people mistreat horses. He'll kill them for it. He, you know what I mean? He's no violence against women. He won't let his girlfriend, even though she is a complete psycho badass with a gun, along on anything because he thinks she can't... You know, he doesn't want her to get hurt. He is just the ultimate American guy. Right. And I was saying to Garth, I was like... You write American sentimentalism and this romantic idea of what it is to be American better than any American writer I can think of. And you're not American. You just hmm. you observed it from the outside. And this director, who we'll be talking about in just a minute, is not American. No. Um, he lives in Copenhagen. He he talks about he talks about when he saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in New York City when he was fourteen. Talking about Ennis or this guy? This guy. Okay. He talks about seeing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he was 14 and think, that's how I want to make people feel. That's what I want. You know, he sees this American movie and he is attracted to it. And I think that's what what we're talking about with this movie is that he picked up on that stuff we talked about. Right. That stuff that makes, it's, it's, it's like so different from being like Robert Pattinson or Zac Efron, these guys who are teen idols for their moment mm-hmm. versus somebody who becomes like, they hit that, they hit that moment in time where they just are that guy. They just are. Like, there's, they didn't even have to try to be. Right. And he picks up on that, and he made this movie, and he put Gosling in that role. And I think that's probably why, subsequently, Gosling was in two more movies immediately after this, doing right. kind were- of the same thing. Because I think people were like, oh, he's so sexy, we just want to do the same thing with him. Um, and thank God he kind of grew out of it, because we didn't want to just see him do the same thing over yeah. and over again. Yeah, and, and the fact that he is such a good actor, you hate to see great actors pigeonholed like that. Like McConaughey, even though you didn't think he was a great actor, he was pigeonholed in rom-coms for almost decades. Like, literally, like, 20 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden... You give him a chance to actually act, like yep. actually show off this craft that you've been working on for the last twenty years, not with Kate Hudson as yeah. your counterpart, right, right? You know, and then he does something like Dallas Buyers Club and True Detective season one, yeah, and you're just like, holy shit! So that, I'm so happy, and that's what that's what I love. One of my favorite things about Gosling is his movie choices that he does. Yeah, he's he's like one for us, one for that, one for us, one for that. Exactly. Yeah, he's done a lot of indie movies. Should we move into a fist pump moment? We should. About- and I would guarantee, though I don't know this, that I would guarantee we have the same one because I, it's pretty hard pressed to find. I mean, we have a th- we're gonna we're gonna rank moments in, of this movie a little bit later on, like some of our favorite moments. Yeah. But the fist pump moment, it just happens right away. You have the opening heist, which is awesome. It's great, and you're like, you get it, you get exactly who he is. As a short, that would work. Mm-hmm. As just a short film, that would totally play. Yep. And then 
open on Los Angeles. The aerial the shot. actual pan. You get the U.S. bank. You get yeah, everything. And you get and you get fucking Kavinsky Nightcall playing. Just and it's deep. Because the whole time, it, like, they had that low beat playing throughout yeah. the whole intro. Yeah. And it kind of picks up when he starts driving. And while he's driving, then it's silent when he's doing the heist. And then, boom, Kavinsky. Yeah. So because we both have the same fist bump moment. Yes? Yes. Yeah, clearly. That's the one for me. And that's also the one where I remember watching it the first time that I remember... It's a literal fist pump because you're sitting watching and you're just like, I get to watch. Like, this This is so cool. Yeah. I just want this. To, I want to feel like this for the next hour. I feel hour. like we always talk about this. We always talk about how we're going to write our own our own action movie. Yeah. They, the fist pump, if it can happen in the first five minutes. Yeah. That, because, like, again, I, when it happened last night, I looked over to my buddy and I was like, dude, this movie is so fucking good. Yeah. Like, I just, I had forgotten how good it was. Yeah. I, and I, I totally agree, man. And that's and I, I do wonder. Neither of us are, are born writers. I mean, we, I write a decent amount. Like, yeah, I'm not. you know, I've written plenty of stuff in my life, but I'm not somebody who writes every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more of a video journalist than I am anything else. And I just wonder if, as such huge movie fans who who like talk about them and break them down so much and have so much passion, would we be able to just write a really solid movie just just based on like think think about John Wick, think about this movie. They're, right. They're two great examples of. Of movies that are not trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. We get it. We watch those movies and we're like, I understand why this is good. Yeah. I fully understand why this works. And I just wonder, like, that's the kind of movie I would want to write if we were Absolutely. to write a movie. And, uh, and you know what? I, I thought about that, too. I always say, because, you know, I've, I've been acting for so long. I'm like, I'm not really a writer, but I, I think I'm pretty good at writing dialogue. Yeah. And I think it's because I've done so much of it and I've read so much of it. I don't yeah. know about everything else. But that's... The Scorsese's and the Tarantinos and the Spielbergs and the Camerons and yeah. the Aronofsky, all the greatest directors that you could think of, they all just did what we talked about. Right. Growing up and loving movies, watching movies and completely falling in love with falling in love with them and realizing why. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I mean obviously they had years and years of training and working on it and they had bad movies in the way, but Yeah. I think that's all you need is that love and that passion and understanding. Yeah. You know? Totally. Completely agree. Um, so with that in mind, with Fist Pump, should we do our top moments now? Just because it feels like we had the same Fist Pump moment? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's do, let's do our top moments then. So this movie is riddled with just awesome Awesome scenes. moments. Yeah, I mean, I think, so because that's my number one, uh-huh. um, and that's both my Fist Pump and my number one moment in the whole movie, I'll go, I don't know if I really want to rank, say, two, three, and four, because it's hard past that first one to really, like, think what's the coolest. But right. some of the ones that really jump out at me, for instance, when he's sitting at the diner, and the guy walks up to him and he's like, you drove my brother back for me and my brother back from Stockton. He's dead. And I went, how do you think about that? He's like, how about you shut your fucking mouth before I kick your teeth down your throat and shut it for you? Yeah. I like that you went Boston with yeah. that. Yeah. And he's like, nice seeing you yeah, again. Good, good seeing you again. Yeah. Just, just gets up and, and that's leaves. that. And that's, I think that's the first time in the movie we see Gosling be tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the first time you ever see this like, right. Huh. I know you can drive and I know that you, you don't freak yeah. out in stressful situations, but like. Can you actually kick this guy's ass? Right. You don't even know. Yeah, you, you don't, don't even know. know. And, that, like, and that's the craziest part is that you're – because they don't explain where this guy came from, the most you get is when Shannon talks about him walking out of the shop and being right. great with cars. Um, you don't actually know where any of his toughness comes from. Mm-mm. It's a total fairy tale. I mean you think uh, – up until when he actually does something, you think a lot of it could just be talk. Yeah. You know, even his little speech he does that he did on the phone and then he does it again in the park. Yeah. He's like, you know, you get five minutes. Anything that happens in that five minutes, I'm yours. You're like, did you just learn this? Yeah, right. You'd like write this one night and you thought it sounded yeah, cool right. yeah, and yeah. you recited it. Okay, so that's a sweet moment. Mine's a little weird and it's because 
this movie, I mean, when movies do this, and we've talked about this, when movies are able to put the soundtrack in, or a song in at the right moment to right. make you feel this certain way, and again, we just did it with Kavinsky, when Under Your Spell by Desire plays, when Oscar Isaac yeah. first gets back, and it's kind of like this dream of a party. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't ever feel like you're actually at the party. It feels like you're watching the party. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you see Kerry Mulligan in the corner, and... And the song, you know, the song's playing, and he's kind of looking around. He's like, you know, I did some stupid stuff, and I gotta make it back. And right. You can tell he's a piece of shit. Yeah. But you can tell that he realizes that he that he is. Yeah. But you, I don't. In that moment, you're kind of saying that like, can this guy actually change or not? Yeah. There's just something about that, and right when it happens in the movie, because for the last 20 minutes, it's just been building relationships between yeah. everyone in the movie, and this kind of happens, and you see him come in, and it's it kind of it throws. Um, like a, what, what is that thing they say? It, it throws like a wrench in the gears. Like right. so, this thing is not a, a, a moving smoothly anymore. There's you see the husband, but just that moment and the song and the party, and then he goes out in the hallway and he right. meets Gosling. Like I just love it. Do you think like it's, it's funny? I I come from Seattle, like pretty like white middle class liberal family, and so I didn't grow up around like this type of situation where we had any friends that got out of prison. Like it just wasn't something that I was right. ever around. Um, I think about my situation in life and like. What if I ever met a girl and, and she was like, I, we dated for a few months and I was really charmed. And then she was like, my husband's getting out of prison. Like, I'm just like wondering how I even react. Would I even ever get in the situation with a woman whose husband was in prison? No. Probably not. No. Right? Or with a kid. Yeah. Well, with I mean, that's, that's, you get that's, older, yeah, that's debatable. Yeah, you get older, that's debatable. But like right now in my life, if I meet a woman with a child and I'm like, okay, I like this girl a lot. And then she tells me her husband's in jail. Right. I'm like, yeah, I gotta go. He's gonna get out sometime. You're just like, that is just like. What do you a lot. Do with that. Yeah. What do you do with that? <laughs> so intimidating. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Frightening. Uh, what's your uh, what's in, what's in your next moment you got? Um, all right. So so I love that one. Uh, let's see another one. That's that's gonna be my favorite line. So we'll save that. Um, I love. I love the the whole entire wristlet sequence. Everything. That's my number one moment in the whole movie. Other in, than Kavinsky. Other than Kavinsky, but that but uh, when I was talking about earlier, Kavinsky isn't really nothing's happening in the film. Yeah. Right. There's not actually anything going on. It's just sweet. Yeah. This moment with the wristlet is so just real. It's because Albert Breer is 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 maybe the best part of this movie. He's he's so convincing for me as like a, as a sympathetic villain. Yeah. And I love I love what he's like. I was excited about this. Yeah. I might have my name on a car. And he says, "What's he say? He's bad. Bad. It's just, it's just bad luck. It's just bad luck." Because There's my partner is a belligerent asshole. You know what he say? Like a thousand heists go down in Los Angeles every yeah. year. You Your driver, one. Yeah. yeah. It's just, and it's just such a brutal death. It is. He's like, no, no, no. Shh. It's already done. It's already done. That's yeah. it. That's it. Painless. Nothing. Ugh. And he's, I'm, I'm actually okay with my Albert Brooks right now. Yeah. I'm doing a good one. But yeah, and then, and Cranston is so feeble. The Ugh. whole movie. Whole time. Like he, and he even says it when he first, the first time he talks to Gosling. Yeah. He's like, he broke Nino over there, he broke his pelvis. Yeah. Just kind of like a, we'll kill you if you fuck this up. Yeah. But yeah, the whole movie, Cranston is so weak. Like, he didn't need to, he could have just shot him, he could have, but the Anything. fact that he slits his wrist like that in a handshake and is... Then he, and then I love, I love that the next moment is him in his kitchen with, like, dish soap. Yeah. Cleaning the razor. Yeah. And then putting it back in the case. Back in his perfect little case. Yeah. It's just the idea that a criminal that slits someone's wrist goes into his kitchen with Tide. Right. And sponges your little razor... 
and then puts it away. Same way that you and I would clean up a clean fork. Clean a plate. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That's that I mean that's probably just one of one of the most heartbreaking moments in the whole movie. It truly yeah, it's one of those things again like, cuz he's so weak you're just like, "Ah, I want to help you, man." Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um I also love I also love when real hero plays the first time and he's like, "You want to see something?" And oh, they, they go down to the Yeah, and they go driving cuz that's another that's another LA thing. It's another LA thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just it's just so fucking like dreamlike and romantic and this like, movie feels like a dream a lot of the time when you're yeah, watching it. It does. It's really special for that reason. And uh yeah, that, I just that's what, like I said, you see it, it makes you feel cool, it makes me feel good. And and like you say, like it, it feels like a dream that leads into this next thing that we actually have a clip of is in the elevator. Yeah. And it, and it could have been like a typical action movie. You walk in there, he sees his gun, he sees this, moves her over, and he just gets on, like yeah. he jumps him. No. He slowly moves her behind. Music turns on, and they have this kiss. Yeah, this long kiss. It's a great kiss. It's a great kiss. <laughs> uh, so let's cue this up because this is awesome. And then he smashes his brain in. Apparently, the original version of the brain smashing uh-huh. is three times as violent. Really? And they had to cut it down so it didn't get an NC seventeen or yeah. something. Wow. And Gaspar Noé, the guy that directed Love, that extremely pornographic movie that I interviewed oh, yeah, recently. Yeah. Um, who's like a pretty actually respected and famous. He's like, this is a weak scene. He no. did a head smashing in his movie. Um, so he had a movie two thousand two. See that? He pushed her. The lights go down. But apparently, he called Gaspar. This director called him to ask him how he did the head smashing. Oh, I should. love it. And he's like, more sex, more, more fucking, sex, more fucking. <laughs> I love it because it's like time freezes for a minute. Like yeah. that guy, that guy should have just turned and shot him right then. Yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah, the uh, composer whose name is um, what the hell's his name? Clifton. Clint, Clint Mansell? No, no, that was last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love um, oh yeah, it was Clifton something. Yeah, yeah it's Clifton something. But uh, the composer was basically given a few reference songs. So some of the ones they end up using: "Under Your Spell," mm-hmm. "Night Call," "Real Hero." And all of the tones that he dis- that he designed for this movie, the whole entire um, score, it's it's just based around the sound of those songs. Really? Yeah. Which is why which is why every time they have a moment, you kind of have this sweeping, beautiful like. It's I don't know if you're the same way, but like when I'm writing, like if I'm like working on an, in a coffee shop or sending emails or whatever, like uh-huh. this is the kind of, I could listen to sounds like this. Oh, for sure. For like three hours. Yeah. Just repetitive. Yeah. I, I listen to classic music, all, classical music all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Awesome. The guy's like so much bigger than he is, too. Yeah. And has a gun. Which doesn't even... He's already, like, fucked up. And her reaction is great. So gnarly. Oh, uh, the, the last crunching... And then just he just turns around and he's hunched and over. He just cover, yeah. So where do you want to go for dinner? Yeah, right. <laughs> if that's not like an action fight, I mean that's totally an action. That's a fight. Totally an action fight. Just like okay, the next moment that I well, I also wanted to pull, but then we just have too many clips going, is in the hotel room. Right. Like her head gets blown yeah. up. And then he's just standing there. He throws the mattress in he front of the, the door. He throws the mattress, yeah. Just smart. He gets shot. And then he's just waiting around the corner. And I, what I love is he gets the gun from the dude. Yeah. And it's just like this. There's no, like, drawn-out fights. 
he hits him like once or twice and he's down and then he takes the shower rod and just yeah. stabs him in the throat. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And then he turns around and pops the dude with the shotgun and the movie's silent. Yeah. And you see him. The only thing that you can hear is the blood splurting out of the dude's neck on the tube. The sound effects in this movie are it's fantastic. great. <laughs> just got nominated for an Oscar for <laughs> Yes, best sound editing. Yes. In, in, the, in the same class as Face Off and Under, under Siege. Under siege. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so that, those are our fist pump moments and our top moments. Please let us know. You can tweet at us at AMA Podcast, or I've got the live chat open. Looks like you guys are you guys are digging what we're talking about. I do always love when they talk about how, or when the fans talk about how they just want to stop watching and go watch and the go movie. Go watch the movie, yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to do a show called um, It Got Nominated for an Oscar, and uh, uh, talking about the worst movies of all time that ever got nominated for right. Oscars, just like just like what? we cover most of them. <laughs> but there's there has to be some just atrociously bad movies. Oh, that, of course, that just get nominated for costume design yeah. or something, sound you know? editing, yeah. or an original song. Yeah, um, original songs. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like probably South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Probably would not be as fun of a show as we're imagining it would be because it would just be talking about largely bad movies. <laughs> right. We haven't even gotten into star profiles, and it's almost four o'clock. Jesus. <laughs> All right. You know what, guys? I'm just going to say it right now. We're probably going to skip most of production development. I'm just yeah. going to say it. I'm just going to say it. So we talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Well, very little. So. Uh, what we were, what I was saying earlier is, so you look at Ryan Gosling's three most recent hits. It's All the Good Things in 2010, Blue Valentine in 2010, and Lars and the Real Girl in 2007. Right. And I think right before that was Half Nelson. Uh, 2006. Yep. 2006, yeah. And also in 2011, though, he has a few other movies come out. That's the thing. He has Crazy Stupid Love came out also in 2011. Right. And he also has The Ides of March come out in 2011. Um, so this is, as we talked about... You can look at Ryan Gosling's career basically like this. The Believer is 2001. That's the big breakout, like this guy's kid, because at the point he was a kid. Right. You ever see that movie? No. The first time I ever saw him was in, um, was in, uh, remember the Titans. Okay. Yeah. So that's the year before, mm-hmm. and he's got a part in that. I've, right. As, Small part. As everybody knows, I've never seen Remember the Titans. It's a <laughs> Unbelievable. travesty. Um, but in 2001, The Believer's a, a big, The Believer's a big movie. He plays an, a neo-Nazi. It's a really intense role. Um, he's, the, but he's a Jewish neo-Nazi. Um, it's, really? It's really intense. Billy Zane's in it. It's uh, <laughs> a cool guy. friend, Billy Zane. <laughs> uh, it's a very good movie. It's indie. It was, it was popular at the time. So then his big breakthrough comes right around that 04, 05, 06 range. Mm-hmm. And that's when this like last decade of Ryan Gosling, it really has been a decade. Yeah. So The Notebook is 2004. Um, Half Nelson that he gets the Oscar nod for is 2006. Lars and the Real Girl. Have you seen Half Nelson? No. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see it. Um, Lars and the Real Girls 2007, which I have seen. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. And then, but then he does take that break there. He doesn't do a movie until the 2010. Yeah, I, that's weird. It probably is. He probably went really hard into that stretch that we just talked about because uh-huh. he got so much attention from The Notebook. It was such a hit. Um, by the time these movies came out, people forget sometimes the year of release, there's the year or two in production before. Absolutely. Sometimes the movie's shot two yeah. years earlier or a year and a half earlier. So like... When you when you when you get that all that success from the Notebook, everybody wants to work with you. You're shooting movies in 2005, and right? 2006. That are going to come out to like 2009, or yeah, something, or like something. Eight, seven, yeah. So probably there's some amount of like Lars and the Real Girl came out in 2007, and then there's like five or six movies that came out from between 2010 and 2011, and they were all shot in that stretch. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, and so, it, I, honestly, I think it's great for his career because when. We've seen this with Adele. Yeah. We've seen this with Sam Worthington. Yeah. When you oversaturate the market, no matter how good or entertaining or fun you yeah. are, people get sick of you. Yep. It's just like Jennifer Lawrence is kind of going through right now. Yeah. Yep. You need to kind of reinvent yourself. That's just how people are. They're fickle. So um, he, 
Lars and the Real Girl is very funny and interesting and weird. It's weird. Half Nelson is super gnarly and intense and real. Blue Valentine is it's one of the most depressing movies ever made. I love that movie. It's of course, <laughs> of course I do, but like. <laughs> Again, like I respect him as an actor. He lived, him and Michelle Williams lived together for a month in a yeah. shitty little cottage before filming this just so they could start to hate each other. Yeah. Like that's what you do. Right. You know, and that's why the movie's so good. Uh, I have not seen all the good things. Nor have I. Um, I did see Crazy Stupid Love. Love it. He's uh, great in it. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, I did not see Ides of March, but it was a gigantic star studded crap fest from what I understand. I can't believe you haven't seen that. It's totally your type of movie. Ides of March? Yeah. I just heard that movie sucked. Yeah, me too. It was supposed to be good and it just like, yeah. it wasn't. It's like um, Clooney and him. That's why I'm hoping that him and Russell can do a better job. And nice guys. Yeah, I think that it's yeah. going to be very good. Um, so that's kind of where he was at and then obviously his next, after this, you know, the next five years have been epically awesome. Like, yeah. Just like tons and tons of good stuff. Um, he really truly is about as A-list as it gets. Like you think about some of the other guys we, we would talk about, Pratt or Hardy maybe, mm-hmm. who you could sort of compare as like those guys right now. He's every bit as famous as those guys. I think his range travels so much farther than either of those guys, too. Yeah, Hardy's got range, but Hardy sort of can't do, or or at least we haven't seen Hardy do... Like, make fun of himself? Yeah, and, like, it's not like a question of can't. It's more like, I think we're going to see in, like, Nice Guys. It doesn't seem like something Hardy would do. No. no, Hardy seems like he's very much an artist. He's intense. And from what we've heard from friends that have worked with Tom Hardy, he's kind of a prick. Yeah. He's kind of a prick, and he's kind of an artist who takes himself very seriously. Yeah, right. So it's hard to put that guy in any of those roles. Yeah, right. Whereas people like John Hamm, Chris Pratt, Ryan Gosling, these guys are good at making fun of themselves. Totally. Yeah. It's a different kind of star. Um, so then Carrie Mulligan, an education was the, was the thing that came out right before this. Um, it was like 2009, I'm pretty sure. Um, and what the director said, which Nicholas Winding Refn said that he had never seen. He had never seen Carrie Mulligan because he, or he had never seen an education. Really? This is the first movie she booked after getting the Oscar nomination. She got nominated for an Oscar for an education, which was an indie movie with Peter Skarsgård. And that came out in 2009, I Nine? thought. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I, I believe so. And... He didn't see it, but his wife had seen it, and his wife loved it, and she didn't have a place to live, Carrie Mulligan, so they, she lived with them during Why? production. Uh, she, I don't know. She was moving or something. Oh, okay. It wasn't because she'd, like, lost everything. <laughs> no, and she so she lived with the director and his wife and kids during production of this movie, um, and Ryan Gosling would just drive him around, and they, they, they all, like, the editing station was put into the director's house. Didn't Hardy do that with Tambacus or something? Uh, they were all living together yeah, in New York for a, for a couple ah, weeks. That's so cool. Um, and it just—it sounded like you know they just—they were just—they would drive. They just wanted to experience. He wanted to experience LA and really get it. And so they would all spend this time together. But um, she's in—I mean, Brothers, which I never saw. That's never the Jill and Hall one, right? Yeah, I always wanted to see that. Movie. It was all right. Yeah, um, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. I did see. That's the Shia LaBeouf sequel. Um, not a good movie. You sure? Yeah, not very good. <laughs> um, and I never saw Never Let Me Go. Oh, yeah, Shia and Michael Douglas. It was supposed to yeah. be sweet. It wasn't. Nope. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, so her career, it, she's such an interesting choice for this film. She, originally, she was supposed to be Latina. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, originally, he wanted to make he wanted to make her and um, uh, Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, but he was like, he kept seeing all, he said, he was like, I saw all the best talent in Hollywood, all these amazing actresses, and it just wasn't right. It wasn't right until finally with Carrie. He was like, it just worked. She was just innocent. He was like, I wanted to be able exactly. to. Exactly. There's something like so beautiful about her innocence in this film he was like i wanted to be able to fall in love with her uh like because it's a fairy tale and dr- um, and th- this driver guy that has nothing in his life that holds him down yeah he f- he falls in love with her because all the scenes that he's with her are the happiest scenes in the movie yeah where he's smiling and the music's playing um yeah i thought that was really interesting she's it's funny right 2010 blue valentine michelle williams 
it's like Michelle Williams and Carrie Mulligan. They it could be the, the same person. They almost look kind of the same. I actually was thinking that when <laughs> yeah. I was like when I was watching a scene in Dry Lost, and I was like, that could be Michelle Williams. And I was like, she could be in Blue Valentine, like yeah. easily. Yeah. Because I love Michelle Williams in Blue Valentine, but last night I forgot when I watched it, I forgot how great Carrie Mulligan is in this movie. She's really good. I love um I love Michelle Williams in Brokeback Mountain. I know you do. <laughs> you love that film? I do love that movie. It's a good movie. I forgot that it's I owned a, it. It's kind of an action movie, right? Yeah, totally. We can do that on the show. <laughs> yeah, I probably it's probably my copy that I gave to you. Is actually probably why you own it. Yeah, I, I, that sounds right because I don't. I never bought it. Um, all right, so uh, we're gonna get a production development. I'm gonna try to skim through this as quickly as I can. Yeah. Um, Hossein Amini. Yep. Uh, wrote the screenplay and it was based off a book by James Salas. James Salas is an American crime writer, poet, critic, right. monologist, one of those guys, musicologist, as they have written down here, which is, I like they have musicologist, musician. Anyway, yeah. this guy does a lot. Uh, he's very famous uh, for his books that feature the detective character, uh, Luke Griffin. Okay. Um, which is, he writes a lot of film or crime noir f- set in New Orleans. And um, honestly, the dude was, he's just a novelist that got really famous from Drive. Yeah. Not, not, I mean, I'm sure he writes great books, but no one really cared about who he was until Drive got adapted into um, a film in 2011. And it wasn't really, there was no articles up about like how different it was. I, I feel like it probably followed it pretty closely. It's pretty close. There's a few things that he changes. Um, th- there's a couple of things like Albert Brooks, for instance, is a much more traditional gangster in the book. Right. Um, whereas in the movie, he was like, I needed to give him a kind of much more like, he had to be a movie producer because it's Hollywood or it's LA. He really like, needed that sort of thing. Like I said, Latina. All right, I do like LA. that. He's like, I used to make bad, or yeah, like bad movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, bad action movies. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's pretty much pretty much dead on what you said there. Um, as far as the director goes, he is uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. He's lives in Copenhagen. He's a Danish film director, screenwriter, and producer, and he moved to the states in '81. Uh, He's written. Uh, he's directed a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Bronson with with Tom Hardy, Hardy yeah, which and, is a big one. And the biggest thing was the Pusher series back home. Yeah, um, that was like. I mean, that thing's one. I have it written down here, which we, we're not going to do. That thing has won so many awards. Yeah, trilogy. And, yeah, yeah. And then and then his stuff here in the states. It's it's funny, right? Like. Like, Bronson's an art house movie that most people haven't seen. It's just people know about it now because of Tom Hardy. Right. Um, you have this movie. You have the follow-up to this movie, which is Only God Forgives, which is they shot at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they were originally going to do three movies together. Um, in that interview I, I mentioned, they were going to do this, Only God Forgives, and a remake of Logan's Run starring oh, yeah. Reynolds. But that's no longer listed as a title in production. Reynolds or Gosling? <laughs> Gosling. Okay. Um, and I think that's interesting. I think Only God Forgives, maybe, I know it bombed. I know that movie was not well-received. And I also know that, like, this character, because Gosling played, he played a character in Place Beyond the Pines, which is his next movie. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, like, those three movies in a row with him playing a very quiet, sullen, like, that sort of macho character. Maybe it was, he kind of looked maybe, at it. Even when like, I saw the previews, I was like, what does this drive again? Yeah, right. You know? It looked very similar. And so I wonder if they didn't want to work together on the third film for that reason or if this is something we missed. He um, also covered Valhalla Rising, which I've heard mixed reviews about. Yeah, I think I've heard the same thing. I just saw, yeah, Jonas Tiger looks like here says, if you like this movie, you should really watch Valhalla Rising. And, and it's interesting because this guy, he, uh, I, I want to move on past, or I mean, move to this next part where um, he was supposed to have a lot of projects happen that didn't happen yeah. with big names, and I feel like he's kind of an awesome director. I haven't, I, I like Bronson, I love yeah. this movie, but I, I haven't seen much else. So he was supposed to cover the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde with Keanu Reeves, sweet, which never happened. Yep. He was supposed to do The Dying of the Light with Harrison Ford. He was so, supposed to direct that. Good story on that. Um, he says that just before Drive. 
he was doing the die in the light and he wanted to kill Harrison Ford. He was like, that would be a life goal of mine in a movie is kill Harrison Ford. Oh, really? And Harrison decided he changed his mind. He didn't want to die anymore. And he was like, well, I'm walking away from the project then. Really? And so he walked away from the project. And that's when he, that's when he met up with Gosling and they had this hilarious dinner where he was, he was legitimately, he says like delirious. He was so sick and he was on these strong antibiotics. He couldn't even like turn his head to look at Gosling. (laughs) So he like stared off in the distance and they talked and and the dinner was cut short. And in the car on the way home, apparently, uh, it's like in this like awkward moment, like on a first date, (laughs) Gosling turns on the radio and Ario Speedwagon can't fight this feeling any longer comes on. And it's just like the worst soft rock song, but he's like so delirious from these drugs. Apparently he started singing along and like screaming the lyrics and like, and and apparently started crying. Oh my God. While singing this. And then he looks at Gosling and he's like, I got it. We're going to do a movie about a guy, about an intense driver in L.A. who listens to pop music at night to cheer himself up. And Gosling was like, I'm in. And that's how this <laughs> He's like, sure, in. dude. Whatever, what the fuck ever yeah. at this point. That's, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, and then the last, the last two were Magic Mike. Yeah. Uh, Channing Tatum really wanted him to do it, I guess. But, yeah. you know, uh, Soderbergh. Soder- right? uh, Magic Mike? Yes. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, and then the last one was Equalizer with Denzel. Oh, sweet. Now, that one is the one that stands out to me the most. Imagine if Equal- Equalizer was not directed by Fuqua and it was like intense and real and raw. Awesome. Yeah. Would have been great. Would have been way better. Would have been super cool. Um, yeah. So, so quickly to just talk about the producers on this movie. Um, this was a movie that originally they couldn't get uh, large support financially for, which is why the budget is small. They ended up having to go through independent financiers for it. Um, they had to screw. They had to, a lot of producers. Yeah. And they had to sell it at con that year in 2011 to try to get people excited about it. And, uh, and they did. And so it, there's a bunch of producers. The biggest name listed is Mark Platt. Um, Mark Platt has done a ton of big stuff. I mean, we're talking everything from like, Nine, you know, wanted to like um, into the woods, Bridge of Spies. Like he's got a big filmography. Gotcha. Um, he works a lot with. Uh, uh, there's another. What is this listed on here somewhere? He, he, he Adam has, Siegel. Yes, he has essentially a producing partner, and they they work a lot together. Um, he, there's like five or six other listed producers, all of whom have sort of like varying levels of success. But at the end of the day, this is just a movie that had a lot of hands in it because it needed money, mm-hmm. and people didn't seem to want to get involved. But you know, when you do have a movie star attached, it does help. So absolutely. Was able to get, uh, and it didn't cost that much to make. No, you know, fifteen million. Right. So we'll get into critical and box office here. This movie was made by Film District. That was the studio that produced it. Um, the budget was fifteen million. Came out in September of two thousand eleven. It grossed thirty five million domestic and forty one worldwide for a grand total of seventy six million dollars. Yep. Uh, which is great. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a strong return. Um, I think it's probably why they were able to get that next movie made so easily. Yeah. Um, then again, that movie flopped. Though I never saw it, and I wonder if Only God Forgives is actually good. It could be. I'm tempted to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we're going to check it out. I mean, when a movie makes five times its budget, yeah. you kind of let them do whatever they want the next time right. around. You're given the you're given the green light. Uh, it's still open at number three at $11 million, but it was behind, I mean, The Lion King reopening in 3D, that just sucks. That's just not fair for any <laughs> so funny. people that go yeah. out to me. So that movie, Lion King made $30 million that weekend. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Contagion made 14 and, and Drive did um, 11. It's got a 7.8 on IMDb. And this, it, it goes opposite of our of our little algorithm we have. Yeah. It's got a 92% by all critics, 87% by top critics, and a 79% by audience. Weird. I, I maybe can't that's put what, my Maybe that's why people it. in the chat are a little, are a little uh, like, don't, aren't, aren't quite on board with it. Right. I, mean, I guess it maybe makes sense. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. I don't. I don't know. I don't really understand that at all. I feel like as an audience, I feel like top critics would would probably give it the lowest score. Yeah. Thinking that think it's so like too. it's too self. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to use that word. <laughs> uh, all right. So, 
We got Scott Tobias here from the AV Club said, at a time when action films routinely pass off, freneticness is excitement. Drive is a reminder of how powerful the genre can be when every shot and every line of dialogue has a purpose deployed for maximum impact. Yeah, I'd say so. It's it, it's it's hard hitting. It's but it's and it's fresh. Um, and it's that's exactly what we've been talking about. Is like it seems like everything that happens in this movie has a purpose, and they're not trying too hard yeah. to do anything. Great. Um, you have uh, uh, the other review is by it's written on here on the previous yeah. page. The previous page. J.R. Jones yeah. from the Chicago Reader says, though it easily surpasses most American action flicks, it suffers from the old commercial imperative of making the protagonist a nice guy. Something Refn has seldom bothered with in Europe. Um, I don't think that that is an issue. I think that this person misses the point. Yeah. Unless I didn't, unless I missed the point. But I think so much, so much of this is that American sentimentalism. You wouldn't get away with making the the protagonist of the movie not a nice guy, and he hits a woman, so he's not really all the way a nice guy. For the, right. For the record, like that's definitely a conflicted part of his character. Men in movies that are nice guys don't slap women. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's true because. Uh, Nick, Nicholas Revan talked about this when he talked about characterization in his movies um, and he says that he's always like characters that because of the circumstances have to transform themselves and in the end it's inevitable that what they push up at the end is becoming what they were meant to be Right. Um, and Drive is similar in the sense to Punisher that's the series he was talking about that the driver was meant to become a superhero and he's denied all these things in his life all these relationships, companionship I mean again he lives in, in a single bedroom apartment right. with one light why would this? Why would a person be denied all those things? And it's because he was meant to be something greater, right? And that's exactly what he is. Um, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Achievement in Sound Editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess, like, I guess it deserves that because the. I mean, the brain smash. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and like the sound, like the way it's mixed and everything is effective. I mean, it sticks with you, but I don't know if that's like sound editing, yeah, or what. I, I mean, that's just not something I'm like particularly. I should have pulled up who won. That was that was my bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, it got it got so many nominations from all kinds of different film festivals. Cliff Martinez, who was the the uh, composer, got a lot of accolades for his score. Albert Brooks got a lot for his. Yeah. He got a lot of supporting nods and wins for yeah. his. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Which actually reminds me. So your favorite line is him, isn't it? Uh, it's actually it's an exchange that that Albert Brooks has with Gosling, and he and it's when Cranston is like, "Hey, kid, I want you to meet." And he t- he's like, "I want you to meet him." And he and he says, uh, "Nice to meet you." And he puts his hand out. It's Gosling pauses. Yeah. And he takes his and he's like, "My hands are a bit dirty." And he's like, "So are mine." Um, great line. Just like it's like it means a lot to the story. Yeah, it's also such a weird thing to say, and it's just yeah, it's it's such a weird thing to say, and something about the way that he says it, you're like, oh, because you kill people. Yeah. Like there's just something of you know. It's one of those badass movie lines. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. Also, uh, Drive lost the Academy Award to Hugo in 2005. Uh, fair, fair, fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Always with those type of films. Um, yeah. Mine is is right after he slaps her in the face. Ooh. He goes, now you just got a little boy's father killed, and you almost got us killed, and now you're lying to me. So how about this? From now on, every word out of your mouth is the truth, or I'm going to hurt you. Ooh. That's it. I was watching it, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like you, It was that scene, and the, um, it's always sweet when, when you say a badass line, and yeah. it comes off right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it sucks. Like in uh, Troy. Yeah. Is there no one else? You're like, ah, yeah. oh, God. Is there no one else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I, I might try to fight you. Um, but yeah, like that line in the line in the diner, they're just like, mm. Right. Yeah. You don't fuck with him. No. No. Really, really good. Um, 
We'll do our rankings next week because we're running short on time. I know yeah. that we always do it, but I, I just we, let's we just need to skip past it. Um, yeah, I mean, we did have we we skipped our box office graphic, but um, it doesn't really matter. It's it, we were essentially just going to show that it, for the year worldwide, it ended up like somewhere in like the seventies or eighties, right? Um, just like. And it's always interesting when you look when a movie that's like this well received and this well remembered. It's just like we did with Warrior, mm-hmm. where you see where it fits, and you're like, "Huh, those are the movies that like made a similar amount of money, and those movies made that much money because they sucked, and no one remembers them well." Right. Whereas like, these are phenomenal films, like Abduction with Taylor Lautner. It was beat yeah. out by Big Mama's House Two. Right. Or like The Eyes of March, for instance. I think is the next movie worldwide on earnings. Correct. And you're just like, The Eyes of March, like a movie that should have been big, no one liked. No one talks about right drive movie. Everyone loved made made for fifteen million dollars. Made a similar amount of money. It's like that's always just so interesting. No matter how good a movie is. Yeah, well, one of the guys in the chat I was just reading, he didn't even. He, he's like, all I want to do is go watch this movie now. I don't know how I missed it. Yeah, he missed it. Yeah, he missed it because they didn't advertise it. They just didn't have the money. Yeah, you know, to do all of it. Um, so I guess that takes us to to recast. recast. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good one. So we did like an eighties, nineties recast. My my Carrie Mulligan stretches. My Carrie Mulligan stretches a little too far into the 90s, um, but that's fine. I mean, I know we usually go 80s, 90s. Yeah. So, like, my my 80s guys, everybody is good late 80s, except that my Carrie Mulligan, I had somebody specifically in mind that I wanted from the late 90s. I did mostly 90s. Okay. So, so that's fine. Um, so, let's let's start with our uh, our Cranston. Let's start with our Cranston. Okay. Um, Shannon. I, so, I want Dustin Hoffman. That's great. Yeah. I, I like love, that. I love Hoffman in the role. He's great at being sympathetic. He's great at seeing, like, he, him doing, like, him doing the, uh, the the crippled walk with the brace on his leg and being... He's so good at it. Yeah. I just, I love Hoffman. And I think that late it's, 80s period in his career, I mean, it's, it's Rain Man era. If I'm not mistaken, I think you'll like mine more than yours. Just because. Just because you love William H. Macy so much. I and so do, do I. I love William H. Macy. And I just like seeing him, I just think of him in Boogie Nights. Yeah. And you think of him at the very end of Air Force One. Like you gotta get off this plane, Mister President. Yeah. Then he gets shot. He's the perfect guy yeah. that you feel so bad for. Yeah, yeah. From yeah, that would be awesome. See him like limping around. Mid nineties. Yeah. H Macy. I do love William H Macy. Um, so how about your uh, your Bernie? My uh, Bernie, my Brooks. Yeah. Uh, I went with Ed Harris. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's good. He's really intense, though. He is. He's really intense, but I never see him. Like, stab a guy in the eye and then stab him in the throat or yeah. slit a guy's wrist. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you never see him. So I think he could do, I think, because he's got those baby blues and that yeah. sweet smile. Like, he could do, he could be the sweet guy that you know is, like, a little fucked up. But then to see him do that, yeah. to see Ed Harris do that, I would just lose it. Because when he plays Kristoff in, in the Truman Show, he, yeah. he is he is that nice guy. He is. Um, and, you, and he's good at being that nice I guy. I turned that on last night as I was going to sleep. Truman Show? Yeah. Love Truman Love Show. Love that movie. Yeah. Um, I went Gene Hackman. And I, I like that. The pair... You did too. Yeah, good call. Yeah, nice. The, the Hackman Hoffman pair for me in my mind was like that's a, like I, I like that pairing. They're too at that point in their careers that this would be made mm-hmm. way too big for this. There's no way. Right. They're they're both leading men, but like I mean Hoffman is really actually a character actor, and so is Hackman. But they became A-listers. Yes. Um. But I like. I'm just thinking like in their primes, like their acting ability. I just they're just both very good at these roles. So I like the two of them paired. Yeah. There. Um. As friends. Um. How about your Irene? I went with, like, early 90s Claire Danes. Oh, that's good. Yeah, just because she, I think she could pull off that sweetness. I thought ethnicity change. Um, okay. So I went, like, Bullworth era Halle Berry. Like, okay. Really young Halle Yeah, Berry. really young. Like, 19, 20-year-old Halle Berry. Okay, um, I like that. Which doesn't work for the kid, obviously, but, like, I, I'm just thinking. She, yeah. she played a little older, I guess. Um, but I liked Halle Berry before she was, like, Academy Award winning actress. Me too. When she was, like... 
still just like good and hot. She was like, like trying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? like, 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 like just, just pre Catwoman. Yeah. Um, oh God. <laughs> and then I'll bet you money. We have the same lead. You go first. Mickey Rourke. No, really? No, I went, I went nineties pit. Okay. Yeah. Nineties pit's great. He's got all the sex, all the sex you could possibly ask for. I want to see him be put in those, put in a role where he can do all the sex and he, but he's just stoic. He doesn't have to cover up being as hot as he is yeah. by like trying to cover it up with great acting. Yeah. He can just be like a stoic badass. I like that. I can totally see that. I was thinking uh, Mickey Rourke. Like late uh, 80s? Yeah, like he has this fucking awesome quality in the late 80s where he was super pretty and very like soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just sort of everybody's favorite leading man. He was like just the sexiest guy in the world before he kind of got like little beat up um, <laughs> a little and there's this but, but but when his voice didn't kind of sound like this he was really soft spoken and mm. that's that's what I that's what I was thinking is that that would lend itself really well to this movie I'm if surprised was, he didn't go Swayze I mean Swayze's great but Swayze's kind of too he's like sort of too like I could see him charismatic. like yeah. he's not he, he's sexy but in like a different way like even when he walks in Roadhouse you're kind of like what are you doing in here yeah you don't you're too good to be in here like I could see him going in a strip club and like bashing a dude's hand in with a hammer yeah, like he could have done it. It just wouldn't have been the same kind of movie. He can do anything. Yeah. Let me clarify. <laughs> Mickey Rourke, if anybody's ever seen like Diner or like Angel Heart or like Nine and a Half Weeks, um, movies movies from like that like that 80s period in his career, those are the ones I'm thinking. Uh, okay. So yeah, there All you right. go. That's it. That's recast. Um, <laughs> categories? Yeah, there's three There's three action movie categories. I think it's clear. It's totally yeah. legitimate, totally ridiculous, ridiculously legitimate, without even explaining what they are. This is just a totally legitimate movie. It's a movie. totally legitimate movie. There's nothing in here that you're ever just like, I gotta, yeah. There's yeah. no reaches. Any Anybody who wants clarity on what those categories actually mean, go watch the end of any other episode. Yeah. This one's so clearly this one um, that that's what it is. So we had pitched last week that we were going to be doing... Um, Nice guys. Yeah. And and we were bad at doing calendaring. Yeah. So it comes out this weekend and we're going to do it next week on the show. So go see the nice guys this weekend because we're going to see the nice guys this weekend yeah. and we're going to prep it and we're going to do another Gosling movie and we can't wait because we think that movie's going to be sweet. I've heard great things about it. Yeah, um, it sounds like it's going to, I mean, it's one of those things where 97% of people want to see it and then people get to see it and it still sticks in the nineties. Like I'm stoked. Is it still in the nineties? I believe or it might be in the top of the eighties now. Oh, that's I great. Think, yeah. I didn't even know it was getting that good of reviews. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I love Shane Black. Shane Black, seminal piece of this genre. That's so. our boy. That is the show today, guys. Donica, thank you for engineering and uh, and, and queuing up with the with the facts and the stats. Uh, Do what where, I can. Where can the people find you, Mr. Bateman? Uh, guys, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram if you're if you're interested. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy, and you can follow our show's Twitter at AMA Podcast. Yeah, please follow and tweet us your thoughts. See you guys later. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.